0: I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I moved into a new house, and I set up my office in the sunroom, okay? So I'm overlooking, like, our backyard, and the dogs like to sit with me while I record. So the dogs are sitting in the sunroom with me, which means there's probably a good chance there's going to be an increase in dog noises in the background of this podcast. And I want to go ahead and apologize ahead of time for that. Um, they see stuff, and they get really excited, and there's nothing I can do about it. So, um, just a just a heads up there. If you hear some groans or growls or barks, that's what's going on. Now, uh, this is part three. Oh, this is Kentucky History and Haunts, by the way, and I'm Jesse. So, I hope that's what you were... Hoping to be listening to. Uh, this is part three of the Appalachian folk medicine series. It's been fun. This has been some things in here are just really gnarly and unbelievable, but it's all true. Um, it doesn't all work. It's not all real medicine, but people actually did all this stuff. So. This is the last in this series, and we're gonna talk about a few more, more ailments and remedies. And then at the end, I'm gonna talk about a couple doctors in particular that were really just, uh, man, they were just shaking things up. So let's dive in. As I mentioned in previous episodes, kids are gross. Kids are gross. They're sick all the time, they're always bringing sickness home from school and whatever. And sometimes they get chicken pox. Actually, I don't know. Do kids still get chicken pox? Did we, have we, like, eradicated that? I don't know. I've never had it. Um, but we try to prevent kids from getting it now, because from what I hear, it's not not a lot of fun. Uh, but back in the day, people in Southern Appalachia did the exact opposite. Uh, parents would intentionally try to expose their children to other kids who had chicken pox or measles. Why would they do that? Well, they thought that if you caught chicken pox at a young age, you would be extra healthy later in life. Like something about having it when you were a kid would just make your immune system crazy good and you'd just be this super healthy person. Um, And then with chicken pox, there's some weird chicken stuff. Um, So first they would make the kid lie down on the ground, and then they would, quote, run a flock of chickens over the kid. Or they'd have the kid, quote, sit under a chicken roost to help dry up the sores. I'm having a really hard time understanding that one. Uh, they'd have chickens fly over the kid's head, uh, have a black chicken jump over the kid, or Finally, they might apply water from a pot in which a black chicken had been cooked or fresh blood from a black chicken right onto the chicken pox. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, Here's a problematic one. I've never really learned what colic is. Like, is colic... An actual thing I just know that you don't want a colicky baby and so I've I've googled it and I still kind of can't figure it out and what I've figured what I've decided is that no one else really knows what colic is either it's just when a seemingly healthy baby cries for a super long time for no apparent reason in southern Appalachia back in the day you might give your colicky baby scorched whiskey meaning whiskey with the alcohol burned out Or, and I said this is a problematic one, because they would give the baby paragoric, which uh, I mentioned in a previous episode, is opium. So that's not really good. Don't give your babies opium. So instead, for colic, you might blow smoke on the baby's stomach, give the baby a spoonful of turpentine, or rub it, rub turpentine on its stomach. You could rub a hog's foot on the stomach, Or, Jesus Christ, hold the baby upside down by its feet up a chimney. (laughs) Colic is also one of those ailments that might call for passing, which I mentioned in part one. Passing is where you just pass the baby back and forth. So for colic, you would pass it back and forth from parent to parent or another random person. And then um, under an animal, around a table leg, and so on. If all else fails, you could tie a string with seven knots around the baby's waist. Uh, It gets worse. Uh, Croup. Croup. uh, Babies get that. It's an acute obstruction of the larynx. And to clear that up, they would try groundhog fat, goose fat, or lard mixed with turpentine, camphor, or kerosene. There they go rubbing kerosene on babies again. Uh, They might put a fried onion poultice on the chest, Um, but there was this other special mixture they might make the baby drink to clear up that croup. And that mixture was uh, some lard, some onion juice, chamber pot lye mixed with water, and the baby's father's urine. (laughs) And to sweeten that mixture, you could throw some sugar in there. Uh, they, would, they would permit that mixed in there with the dad's pee. So that's good. Since we're talking about urine, let's talk about earaches. Now, it was believed that earaches were caused by cold air blowing into the ears. And so logically, the best solution was to pour some warm, fresh urine into the ear. Or if you didn't have fresh pee, that's fine. You could also use like reheated urine. That was acceptable. Um, But it was very important that the urine be from the opposite sex. Babies get thrush, too, although in southern Appalachia it was more commonly referred to as thrash. Uh, Thrush is a fungal infection, basically like a yeast overgrowth, I think. So they would clean the infant's mouth with its own wet diaper or some white oak leaves, pokeberry juice, boric acid, or maybe some alum and honey. Uh, But it gets weird because there were thrush doctors, doctors that were believed to have magical thrush healing powers, which is a very specific skill. Um, And these people would have to be a seventh son or daughter, the son of a seventh son, or someone who never looked into the eyes of his father. So there was actually a belief that guys who never met their dad had special thrush healing powers. Uh, So, yeah, this was a religious thing. And the thrush doctor would say a prayer while blowing into the sick kid's mouth via some sort of funnel. Um, And if it didn't work, if the thrush doctor was ineffective, you could find a person of the opposite sex with no relation to the sick kid. You would have this person go to a creek, take off their shoe, dip it in the creek water, and then pour the shoe water into the kid's mouth. Oh, and you had to do this three times. They had to go back to the creek and and fill up that shoe three times. For whooping cough, you just needed a live minnow, maybe from that same creek, right? So get a minnow, live minnow, uh, drop it in the sick kid's mouth and let it gape three times. If that didn't work, you could try passing And in this version of passing, you would have two people stand on opposite sides of a mule, and they would pass the kid under the mule's stomach and over its back nine times. After that, make sure the kid eats some bread baked by a woman whose maiden surname was the same as her married surname. (laughs) Um, And also, this bread couldn't just be given directly to the child by this woman. There had to be, like, a middleman in the bread transaction, or it just wouldn't work. It would not cure the whooping cough. Very important. And finally, uh, this is really terrible. In 1877, a doctor in Tennessee reported what they believed to be a successful cure for whooping cough. They scared a kid by dunking it in water and literally nearly drowning it. And they thought that the sudden shock to the nervous system was an effective cure. Big yikes. So uh, that's enough of that. Let's move on from baby stuff, which was pretty disturbing, to women's health. There is a truth that has persisted through the ages, and that is that periods are no fun. They are so not fun, in fact, that there have been a ton of nicknames created for menstruation, like The curse falling off the roof, the miseries, the can not help it, the clutches, the cramps, the monthly pain. But here's what's really sad to me. Back in the day, in southern Appalachia, parents did not have conversations with their daughters about getting their period. So when they got it for the first time, it was a total surprise. They didn't know what was happening, and it was terrifying. And People used to think that menstruation was like a sickness, and so as a menstruating woman, you were supposed to stay out of the kitchen and stay out of the garden, because those like herbs and plants you were working on, they would die if you were in there while you were on your period. Also, people thought that if women sat in a bathtub, got caught in a rainstorm, or swam during menstruation, it would cause the blood to like back up and cause hemorrhaging. Uh, Guys, it doesn't work like that. Um, And of course, when tampons were invented, daughters weren't allowed to use them for a long time because of that belief that they would rupture your virginity. Uh, But you know what's even more painful than getting your period and having to deal with all that? Giving birth. I I don't know from experience, that's just what I hear, uh, but I think it's pretty safe to say And uh, birth was really dangerous, you know, it was really dangerous. Poor hygiene, doctors didn't know what the heck they were doing. It wasn't good. There was usually a midwife in town that would come by to, quote, catch babies, you know, just the local baby catcher. Uh, And in the late 1800s, the average doctor who would actually come to a house, like a, a real doctor, to deliver a baby would charge about $10, which was pretty expensive for back then. Um, But you could get away with paying in the form of cows, whiskey, or um, labor. Um, And a lot of times they would plan on a midwife showing up based on the phases of the moon. Not, like, they would look at your due date and they would, you know, plan plan things around the moon phases. And so um, a lady would show up, ideally a few days before the birth, uh, but she'd be like, well, the moon is in this phase, so you're about to go into labor. Let's do this thing. Which is actually nice, because if they did show up early, these these women would just hang around the house doing chores for the family until it was actually time. Um, also, it was very sketchy to give birth during a full moon. They really tried to avoid that. They thought it was dangerous for both the mama and the baby. To induce labor, the midwife might give mom some red onions, uh, some water with a spoonful of gunpowder, maybe some ground rattlesnake rattle, or a few drops of quinine mixed with turpentine. So just a cocktail of good stuff, good stuff for mama and baby. Now, once it was time, they would put a stick in mom's mouth for the pain to keep her from breaking her teeth, and then... Once the baby was out, it would immediately be held upside down by its feet and lifted up and down quickly to prevent liver grown disorder. So, uh, yeah, that's enough of that. But before we wrap up, I did want to mention a few types of doctors people might see in Southern Appalachia for various ailments. And we're going to talk about some specific people. And we'll start with uh, Clarence Gray. Clarence Gray. His family was from West Virginia. His mother's side of the family was full of herb doctors, herbalists. He had a fourth grade education. He couldn't quite secure a good enough job to support his family, which led to a divorce and a couple of heart attacks. And he was really sick after the last heart attack. And he had an NDE, a near-death experience. Um, And he had what the, the book uh that i've taken all this from uh the book calls it a preternatural experience that totally changed the course of his life and led him to become an herb doctor and for the record we are not talking about the 1800s here this was in the 1960s okay so one day gray said that he was in the woods and this native american man appeared and handed him some herbs and told him that he would be all better in six months and he believed that this man was sent by god and he swore that after he did what the man told him to do with those herbs he never had health problems again so naturally after that he was born again and joined the church of christ and he started treating friends and family and he grew more popular. There was a TV segment about him and then a movie was made about him. So he kind of hit the big time. And so he was able to start selling his bitters, okay, his herbal concoctions. And he would sell this stuff directly, like locally and by mail. Uh, and he got, he got all sorts of letters from all over asking for health advice. And so he started sending out a newsletter. Which I imagine is very similar to those almanacs that you see from like the early 1900s where they were actually just like patent medicine salesmen disguising their fake medicine with the cover of providing like some weather information, maybe some astrology stuff. Um, I think it was kind of like that, his newsletter. And so uh, this Mr. Gray, because he's not a doctor... Uh, Mr. Gray believed that most every sickness was due to auto-intoxication, that bad blood and gummed-up kidneys were the root of all problems. So he had this list of foods to avoid, and the foods he needed to avoid included cabbage, tomatoes, coffee, pork, graham crackers, salt, potatoes, oysters, grapefruit, and plums kind of a random list. Um, Instead of eating these things, he said you need to take his bitters, his all-purpose tonic, which had about 15 ingredients, plants. Um, Sassafras was in there to purify the blood, and red clover blossom and peppermint were in there to cure cancer. That's the one that always makes me really mad. Um, So stuff like that. And he was also big into Zodiac stuff. Uh, He believed you were susceptible to communicable diseases at certain phases of the Zodiac calendar. And that every sign has a body part that's more likely to be aggravated. For example, I'm an Aries, and Aries is associated with the head, uh, because we're stubborn, I think people like to say. I don't know about that. Um, And so we're more likely to catch head colds. Whereas a Sagittarius is more likely to get a cold in the thighs, which I'm not sure I understand that one. Um, And I don't think this was not his original idea. I've heard this concept before. Um, I do think it's pretty kooky, though. Um, So that was Clarence Gray, an herbalist, but he was not the only one. They were all over the place. Um, Yeah, there, there were others, like Dr. Caldwell and Dr. Fields, whose names were not actually Dr. Caldwell and Dr. Fields. Uh, Those were their patent medicine salesman aliases, okay? Because neither of them had medical degrees. Um, But here's a quote from Dr. Caldwell that is kind of bonkers, so I think it's worth reading to you. So here it is. Quote, Did you ever see a mule die from cancer? No, you never saw a mule die from cancer. That's because a mule has got more sense than a human. When he gets sick, he will go off and eat the right herbs to make him well. He don't run to no doctor. Herbs will cure anything. Why, they've been here since time. Them old Indians knew all about them. You never heard of an old Indian dying from cancer. Now them young Indians have ruined themselves. They have become educated. There are not many of them old Indians left. Do you know what causes cancer? I'll tell you what causes cancer. Most of the time, it's caused by a healthy bank account. When the doctors find out you got money, they say you got cancer. They will treat you and cut on you until you're dead or broke. Not one person in a thousand that thinks they have cancer really has it. Doctors just tell them that to get their money. Now, I understand our healthcare system is flawed. Yes, indeed. And the price of an aspirin at the ER is criminal, but this seems a little extreme and racist. Now, old Dr. Caldwell and his colleagues really did not trust actual physicians, obviously, and they were very public about it, creating a lot of distrust in their communities, unfortunately. And again, We're talking more modern times, meaning a lot of people who actually needed serious medical care didn't get it because of these asshats. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now here's a character, Thomas Raleigh Carter. Born on my birthday, April 15th, tax day, 1875, many sinks Virginia very little formal education but he learned to read so he taught himself a good deal that way now Mr. Carter was a Baptist minister he was a quote cancer doctor but he was also deputy sheriff deputy treasurer of the county local leader in the Republican Party and licensed midwife busy guy he was also six foot six, around 300 pounds, and apparently a very good public speaker. So, just a force of a guy. Now, in the early 1900s, Mr. Carter, fake Dr. Carter, got a hold of a skin cancer remedy. According to Carter's son, Mr. Carter would let traveling salesmen stay the night at his house. And so, they think that one of these traveling salesmen was the person who gave Mr. Carter this remedy. So Mr. Carter had an uncle who they believed had skin cancer and whatever the traveling salesman gave them healed it. So what we can clearly see now is that whatever this guy had was not skin cancer. Um, But just to really test it and be sure, Mr. Carter himself got kicked in the face by a mule And he applied this secret salve he now had, and it, quote, ate away the cancerous growth. Just to be clear, you don't get cancer from a mule kick, right? Am I making sense here? Okay, so we now also know that this secret salve was a combination of zinc sulfate and Vaseline. Um, But yeah, in the meantime, this guy was just printing money. He had clients coming from all over the place to get their hands on his cancer salve. And um, when patients would visit, he would show them his collection of, quote, fruit jars containing cancers and cancerous body parts soaking in a solution of alcohol, all acquired from people he treated. I can only imagine what that mess looked like looked like that's just really gross um if a client came to him and this person already had some sort of surgery for their cancer he would not treat them he would turn them away because he said quote the doctors have spread it and i don't know where it is He would typically treat people on his front porch, and what he would do is just, like, poke and prod at whatever lesion they had until it was open and bleeding and, like, roughed up, and then he would just rub this salve on the wound, and sometimes this would turn into a minor surgery, basically, which is not good because, may I remind you, this man is not a doctor. So, he was eventually sued for practicing without a license, uh, but they dropped the suit, and he kind of quietly stopped cutting people open, although they did continue to sell his self, even after his death. So, Mr. Carter. Uh, And finally, there was a man named Cicero West, which is an incredible name, so good, Cicero West. He was from Wake County, North Carolina, and he started practicing medicine without any schooling in the 1900s until his death in 1942. So, not a physician, but people still called him Dr. West, of course. Of course. And he told folks that he had special healing powers that came from eating wild meat in India. So, that's good. And aside from being a cancer doctor, he was a wart doctor, blood stopper, herbalist, and occasional veterinarian. He could also treat toothaches telepathically, which is very impressive. His cancer treatment, though, is really something. He called it snake grease, his cancer treatment, and it was made of butter, sugar, and eggs. So his cancer treatment was cake batter. Um, and this guy also kept the cancerous extremities from patients he'd cured in jars to show off to people. I did not know that this was a thing. Um, and so people came from far and wide to see this guy, too. It got to a point where he was treating two to 300 people a day, which sounds a lot like Edgar Casey when he got really popular. And uh, this guy, Dr. West, he worked into his eighties. And unlike the last guy, Dr. Carter, Mr. Carter, it's said that um, Mr. West never turned away a sick patient. Uh, He tried to treat everybody he possibly could and he did a lot of the work for free. So unlike some of his, I guess you could call them colleagues, um, he didn't die a super wealthy man. And a lot of the money he did make, he gave away, he donated. So, still not great. Still selling people fake medicine, um, but at least you know he tried to. He tried to help a lot of people in his own way, and and did a lot of it pro bono. So, uh, yeah, that's that, and that's gonna do it for part three of our Appalachian folk medicine series. I still recommend you buy the book because there is a lot I didn't even get to cover, and again, it's called Folk Medicine in Southern Appalachia by Anthony Cavender. And my DMs are open for topic suggestions. I love to hear what stories you all have or topics you suggest. Um, I've gotten several lately that I hadn't heard of before, and I still have a few of these to look into. Um, And remember, it doesn't have to be true crime. It doesn't have to be a haunt. It can be anything you find interesting about any part of the state of Kentucky or even the Midwest. You can send me those suggestions via email to kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com or send a message on instagram at kyhistoryhaunts or on facebook just search kentucky history and haunts i also greatly appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends and family heck even your enemies or maybe some strangers share it with everybody as always thank you for listening and i'll see you next time